Are you going to listen to the Screen Pass podcast or cry like a group of schoolgirls who didn't get to feed the geese? Welcome to Screen Pass, the show about American football in popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me as always is my colour commentary countercultural counterpart, Justin Barber. You ready to talk some football? Oh, I sure am, Sheehan. How are you doing today? I'm good. It is super hot here. Um, it's like living in a sauna. Nothing mm. in the UK is built for heat, and uh, as a big fat dude, I'm kind of dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here it's, uh, it's super hot or it's crazy rain. So yesterday I left the top off my Jeep, so I got that nice, exciting, squishy feeling when I got into the Jeep, but <laughs> fortunately they dry super fast, unlike the UK are built for all weather conditions. That's a little win, because yeah, it is both super hot and raining here at the moment. Thankfully, I have nothing to leave outside to get wet. Now this week we are doing Balls Out, and to celebrate, no, we're not going to be talking about Steel Panther's second studio album, Balls Out. No, we're not going to be talking about Balls Out, Gary the Tennis Coach, starring Sean William Scott. We are, however, going to be talking about the 2014 movie, Balls Out, originally released as Intermural. Maybe the best of the Balls Out. I could only agree, certainly, of the three pop culture touchstones that I've mentioned there. This is my favorite, having not ventured into the other two. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if I ever will. So um, this one wins by default, I think. I very nearly watched Balls Out, Gary the Tennis Coach, because I just kept searching for it. Peek behind the curtain here. This film is not available in the UK, so I had to come about watching it in... A completely legal manner. Not entirely legal means. These are the links I'm willing to go to for you, the listener, to really experience the best that football in popular culture has to offer. So I tried. I'm not going to name any names but it might be a bay that some pirates might dock in we tried looking there i typed in balls out and a lot of the results were uh, not surprising perhaps <laughs> um so i'm sure watched a couple of them and then tried a few different locations and eventually got a version of this so disaster averted understand it's a little bit easier for you yeah we we have apparently a lot more streaming options here I went to Prime and I just rented it. I will go through those lengths as well. I will give the fans the $4 bi-weekly <laughs> to bring entertainment. But it wasn't on much other stuff. I was shocked that you don't have Hulu over there. No. What a bad business model, Hulu. And that sucks. Streaming rights are really funny. A lot of the Hulu stuff's on Disney Plus now. Some of it is on Now TV or Sky, which is Fox cable TV over here. I think it's just sort of being absorbed into itself, kind of. Maybe it's Hulu with the bad business model. Who's to say? I'm sure there's a ton of copyrights and issues. I mean, I, I deal with that all the time in just global business, but it's a huge market for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure all the good people outside the US would love to watch uh, this fantastic film, Balls Out. Before we get into it, before we get balls deep into Balls Out, we are part of 32-bit, as we always are, so to make sure you never miss an episode from our buddies like Marcus Grant, like Robbie, Maddie Grohl, Steezy, follow us on Twitter, that's at 32-bit, the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T, 
You'll never miss an episode, never miss a live space, never miss an opportunity to catch up with us and all the fantastic things we are doing over there. Woohoo! As mentioned, Balls Out, starring Jake Lacey, better known as Plop from the last season of The Office, yep. featuring Kate McKinnon, Beck Bennett, uh, both from SNL, and Nikki Reed, who you might remember. I know you'll remember her as one of the members of Twilight, or one of the cast members of Twilight. Yeah, the beautiful Nikki Reed. I actually, until looking into this, did not know she was in Twilight, but I did recognize her from Lords of Dogtown, which, by the way, is another seven degrees of separation. We talk about Heath Ledger at nauseum mm. in our Batman Dark Knight podcast. So maybe one of his top five roles, really, Lords of Dogtown. Um, she was in that, and she's been in a bunch of other stuff. She is, um, she's a beaut, as they say. I don't know if you've ever watched Parks and Rec, but oh, the girl that Tom Haverford ends up with, I thought it was her, but it's not. Mm. So that's a fun little story about people who I thought they were. <laughs> um, they're kind of the main cast. There is a, a bunch of characters from kind of notable comedy groups. Like, uh, we see we talked about Beck Bennett, but one of the other members of Good Neighbor, who isn't Kyle Mooney, is in this. You said there was, is it Derek Comedy? Yeah, a couple other people. Jay Farrow's in it. He's from SNL. Yep. Um, he's done some voices for BoJack and The Simpsons. There's another sneaky Seven Degrees of Separation. He does several voices in The Family Guy, which I didn't know. Kanye West's voice in one of the episodes. But he's an announcer, Jay Farrow, and he's an announcer with DC Pearson. And DC Pearson was part of Derek Comedy. Are you familiar with Derek Comedy? It seems like something that I've heard the name of, but don't necessarily know too much about it. That's not the one with Donald Glover, is it? Yep, it is. Ah, yep. Early 2000s, people like Andy Sandberg came from Lonely Island. They streamed sketch comedy, and those guys ended up writing for SNL. Um, we all know who Andy Sandberg is. Well, Donald Glover, before he was in Atlanta, or before he was Childish Gambino, or before he was in Community... He did streaming online with his group, Derek Comedy, and it was three guys. And a lot of the sketches are a little dated, but they are really funny. Again, you're talking earlier 2000s, so some of the filming's not great. They have some that have lasted time and have gone viral. My favorite is there's a sketch called Don't Jerk Off to This. <laughs> <laughs> the three guys rent an apartment. And they come in, they're like, oh, this is a great place. And they notice in the room, there's this small painting of just a bowl of fruit, a normal standard bowl of fruit. But there's a sign on it that says, don't jerk off to this. And they read it and they all start laughing. And then throughout the sketch, they all start becoming obsessed. Like one guy's in his room Googling sexy bowls of fruit. <laughs> and the one guy's like crying in the corner and they all start fighting. Oh, hey. Hey, indeed. You see, I knew you weren't strong enough. Not strong enough to resist jerking off to an innocuous picture of some fruit. So I had to protect you. I had to protect you from yourself. Now, go over there. Bring the picture to me. And leave. So I can jerk off to it. It's really funny. I suggest go out, check out that one, check out any Derek comedy, really. It's all good stuff. 
I followed Donald Glover through his career yep. very early on, primarily because of this. He He's kind of one of the cool geeks. Like right now, people just think he's cool and that's great, but he's definitely got a geek side to him. And I feel like our generation really helped out the next generation of especially guys because we're the guys that read comics and played video games all into geek culture. Now all that stuff is super cool. Donald Glover's like one of those dudes that kind of made it. He's uh, he's a cool guy. No, it was pretty, pretty cool all along. But glad that he's repping you out there. Cough, cough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am very similar to Donald Glover, one might say. I would think so. I'm sure we'll come back to Donald Glover because obviously in Community, he plays Troy Buttsuit Barnes, ex-football star, and there is a football episode of Community. So no doubt we'll hit that up. Great show. Great show. It's a big fan of Community when it first came out. Yeah, me too. And then went off the deep end like very few others um, before. Nick Rutherford by the way, was the guy I was thinking of from Good Neighbor. So there's a bunch of other kind of co-stars in this who make up the football teams, the the good guy football team, the bad guy football team. And a lot of them are from those kind of sketch comedy groups as well. And a bunch of these guys at the time were writers on Saturday Night Live, which is why they got Kate McKinnon and Beck Bennett, who in 2014, Kate McKinnon wasn't what she is now in terms of like that massive brand of SNL. But they were kind of the two up and coming stars of SNL, which is and Jay Farrow as well. He was always a bit limited, but his impressions are quite good. Yep. But basically all the other actors in this were Saturday Night Live writers. A bit of a peek behind the curtain indicates why there were some weaker seasons of the program perhaps. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Out of that generation of SNL actors, which isn't too long ago, I mean, it's overlapping with today. Kate McKinnon, she did some really good stuff on SNL. She did, I think, better stuff outside of SNL. And Beck Bennett's probably one of my favorite guys on SNL during that generation, for sure. There's a few sketches that I really like that he did. One was they did this parody of car commercials at Christmas. Oh, yep. You know the one I'm talking about? Every Christmas- <laughs> The Lexus ad? The Lexus ad. Yeah, every Christmas there's these dumb car commercials where it's like, hey, honey, tosses her a gift and she, she opens it up and it's car keys and she runs outside. This does a full parody on that where the guy's like, come on outside, your gift's outside. And she looks at it and she's like, you bought a Lexus? We can't afford this. Nathan, this is a major purchase. And she freaks out on him. He's like, but it was a December to remember. It hasn't been a normal year. So this Christmas, get her something extraordinary during the Lexus December to remember sales event. Nathan, you didn't. With flexible financing and 0% APR, there's never been a better time to buy or lease a new Lexus. Merry Christmas, baby. Are you kidding me, Nathan? Did you seriously buy a car without asking me? Well, because for Christmas... This is a major purchase. Right, but it, it was a December to remember. It's a Lexus. We don't have the money for this, Nathan. We don't? No, we don't. Your father doesn't... Your father hasn't worked since last March. What? Yeah, COVID has hit a lot of people hard, and I'm no exception. Nathan, you got fired in March 2019. COVID had nothing to do with it. <laughs> hey, pal, I guess your old man's busted. Mm. It's beginning to look a lot like savings, so get to your local Lexus dealer. It's one of the best short commercials that they've done in a long time. Is that um? Is Kate McKinnon his wife in that, or is it Cecily Strong? Doesn't really matter. It's not Kate McKinnon. I don't recall right off the bat who it is, but I remember it's not her. 
It, it could be AD Bryant. My favorite of Beck, because he used to do so much stuff with Kyle Mooney. And Kyle Mooney, I really loved on SNL. I loved his kind of weird comedy, his weird rap versus rock videos. But he and Beck used to do these parodies of, I guess you'd call them like after school specials where there was a, a message and stuff like that. Uh, right. to what they were doing and i love the one with larry david with cousin cj and they keep like having to pull each other aside and have these quiet conversations because larry david's character is just pounding beers um, <laughs> and they get upset at him because he's supposed to be watching their fish and then he just gets drunk instead and does he say oh what do i have to do today oh yeah have a blast and he starts playing electric guitar and <laughs> knocks off the fish and then eventually pulls out a knife and stabs Kyle Mooney's <laughs> character. Feeding the fish went great. You're lying. You killed the fish. You used to be my hero. Leave me alone, loser. <laughs> oh, no. I stabbed Mario. Why would I do this? Because you're addicted. Admit it. You're right. I admit it. I need help. Great. Let's drink. Is that Beck Bennett that does that? Uh, or is it no, Larry it's David? Larry, it's Larry, Larry David. David. <laughs> nice. Beck's part of it, but there's cutaways from the show with this sort of ambient music, and there'll be a cutaway to like giraffes running through a field or like a <laughs> child blowing out birthday candles that has nothing to do with what they do. I always really enjoyed those. I asked because Beck Bennett's character is constantly opening up a beer or drinking in the sketches. I have no idea. It works with his dry sense of humor so much. They had that kid's toy. It was like Bob. It. I think it was Boop It and the dad's playing and the kids are all playing and then the dad tries and gets it wrong and they're like nice try dad and they all laugh and then the dad slowly <laughs> it's Beck Bennett is getting drunk in the background and getting obsessed with the game he's like let me try and it's Timmy's turn Timmy your mom called it's time for you to go home I'll take Timmy's place it's see who can boop it best and be the boop it boss my turn, Jenny just went, I was after her. I think it's Tyler's turn, Dad. Tyler, your mom just called. She wants you to go home. She wants you at home. She does? Yeah, bye. See ya. There's the door, bud. Bye, Tyler. Now that I can actually concentrate, I can do it. Concentration's the name of the game when you... Twist it. Whatever, piece of <laughs> He plays that character really well. There's another fantastic one where he's... Too afraid to shit at work, so starts like buying the toilet lamp and the toilet stapler and shitting in his office and nice. hiding it around. And he's got like a hundred lamps in his office because he's just been shitting in them. Someone nice. comes in, he's like, What does that smell? He's like, It smells like normal lamps. That's great. Yeah, Beck Bennett, very underrated. Beck's the kind of villain in this. We'll get to him. He plays a character called Dick. So. You know, really pushing the boat out with some of this. And and that's probably something else we'll cover as well shortly. Yeah. Where do you come down on Kate McKinnon? Obviously, you're a big fan of her Verizon commercials, as you've said. You love her stuff away from <laughs> SNL. How do you feel about her generally? Kate McKinnon plays a certain role, and I think she does that role well. I don't... <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I think she's pretty funny. She's not one of my top actors, but I mean, what are your thoughts on her? I actively dislike her really i find her tremendously unfunny and i'm sure people are like oh you just uh, you don't think women are funny untrue i do think women are funny 
for a number of reasons. I don't like the fact she plays the same character and everything. I don't like her mugging for the camera. I don't like how she makes every sketch about herself. It's a good point. And this is not so much her fault. I hated that all the writers were doing was like, let's put Kate McKinnon playing a man. Let's have Kate McKinnon doing this. Let's have Kate McKinnon doing that. Right. It just got lazy and too much. For me, she's a bit like Truffle Oil, a little bit in a sketch as like a wacky background character, maybe, but she was just kind of too much every single time where she was always trying to be the star. And that grated on me a little bit. I think in sketch comedy, you kind of got to be a team player and she really wasn't. I think that's fair. I would agree with you. As I mentioned, I think she has a very specific thing that she does. And sometimes that fits really well. Every point you made, I can't dispute. I mean, those are all valid points for sure. And I'm not really sure if it's because there wasn't much of a cat supporting cast at that time or what it might be, or maybe she just wants the spotlight. I have no idea. Yeah, I'd really like to like her and I'd love to be able to point out a sketch where I go, oh, you know what? That's one I really enjoy her in, but I just can't. And I know people love like the alien abduction ones and all those stuff, but it's just, it's the same joke over and over with her looking straight at the camera. I don't care for it. Not a huge fan, but again, Okay, and this she was Kate McKinnon, played that Kate McKinnon role, which added a little something to it. I mean, we'll get into the movie more. There was a lot of, it was like blips in this movie. It was moments that were good and moments that were low, and she was definitely a change of pace. I'll give her that. I said to my significant other, you're not going to believe this, but Kate McKinnon's playing a weirdo in this film. (laughs) She's kind of good, but I also don't really buy her. Like, she was 30 when this was made. She's got fucking city miles on it. Right. Um, (laughs) Not that that's a a critique of her ability to perform her job. She plays this over-the-top, soppy girlfriend slash fiancé who's a daddy's girl and is very domineering, is also kind of weird, believe it or not. Very weird. She kind of hits the brief. I think she's doing exactly what she needed to do, but there's just something about her that I feel she could have been. She's not Isla Fisher in Wedding Crashes. Right. And it's kind of that same character. Oddly enough, it's not as subtle. Weird to say that that role in Wedding Crashers is subtle because it's not, but it was played, I think, with a little more elegance. Kate McKinnon just kind of crashed in as hardcore weird Kate McKinnon. And you could even throw a challenge flag on her whole character because there's no way anyone in their right mind would be with the character that they presented in that movie. There's one scene later where laying on the couch eating this green goop and smiling and the goops all in her teeth real gross stuff so i can buy what you're selling on this yeah that scene was very broad i'm not sure if this was her first foray into movies she was very sketch comedy the thing where she's like spilling yogurt out of her mouth and like aggressively kissing him that's very sketch comedy going for the laugh where i think in the movies you can as you say, maybe be a bit subtle. Right. Let it land like a gymnast sticking the landing, putting your hands up. When you do sketch comedy or stage acting, everything has to be very dramatic. Your facial expressions have to be very, everyone in the front row has to see it. You have to be able to see it through a crowd, whereas movies are much more subtle. And there are actors that are really good in movies and would not do well on stage. And there seems to be a vice versa there as well. Yeah. And I think she's definitely gotten better in movies and definitely better than what she is in this. Overall, I think she's kind of fine in this. She certainly is memorable. I just didn't love some elements of what she did. 
it's interesting you talk about you'd never date anyone like this because the first two notes I made on this film were this is incredibly homophobic this is incredibly misogynistic and then I was like no wait I think this might be a parody where did you fall on I mean that's not saying that it's not both homophobic and misogynistic and a parody what did you think this is a parody right I would say it's a parody parodies are challenging because sometimes people don't get the parody received as a parody and that can become problematic but Beck Bennett's character throughout the whole thing is making very homosexual referenced vibes and the parody is the fact that he's completely hiding it I didn't take any of it as insulting that community I thought it was more like him trying to deny it when it was very very blatant so for me that became more of a parody it felt to me a little bit reading up on the writer is he started writing this based on his friend's experiences in college of playing intramural football and from that I kind of got the vibe of Neckbeard living in his mum's basement being like who won the sports ball right so you've got Beck Bennett who is this kind of over the top I mean he calls his teammates cum junkies he says things like I'm going to rip out your colon and wear it as a spooky eye patch. He's very over the top, like a man child who's, as you say, like hyper masculine, but also clearly compensating for something. And it just reads as dumb jocks while I'm in the library reading and like incels, basically. Yeah. No, agreed. <laughs> and <laughs> I think, I think I do. It's speech time, douchebags. Randy? If you drop one pass, I swear to God, I will burn your grandmother's condo down. Ace, your girlfriend is cheating on you with me. She's ugly. Donnie, your body is a wonderland, and I hate you for it. If we lose, I never want to see any of you ever again. Screw the memories. I'm dead inside. <laughs> His character is very extra as the kids would say. If the kids are still mm. saying that, I don't know what kids say. I think they are. I don't know. I think they are saying it's you know, extra. Fuck your kids. I don't care. Here's a public service announcement. Please do not <laughs> fuck your kids, no matter how much they say extra. Give a shit about your kids. The more you know. <laughs> so in this, he's kind of not to Kate McKinnon's degree, but he's also very over the top in this. There are some subtleties that he pulls into it, which I think are kind of his best parts. Some of the facial expressions when he's not talking. He could have toned it down a little bit too and still delivered on point. Oh, definitely. He's got kind of that vibe of whether it's the South Park episode where they're in Aspen and he's the bad guy or Dennis in Always Sunny when he's trying to close down the mountain. I love that one. Where he is that over-the-top villain where he's got his cronies and stuff like that. He was quite a lot, but then all of these were a lot. Yeah. But by the same token, I can't tell what's satire and what's just shit writing. And that's bad? That's bad. Like this hanging a lampshade on something where you're like, we know this is ridiculous and we point it out so we're all going to accept it. Right. Austin Powers 2, where they're talking about time travel and it was Basil Exposition says something, and they all kind of look at the cameras, we're just going to have to accept this. Right. That's hanging a lampshade on it. What is not hanging a lampshade is pointing out the jokes you're making as you're making the jokes. That's where the audience needs to make those leaps. And Saturday Night Live for ages used to do that with their impressions. They'd be like, and now I'm going to say this and do this, and then they do it. We get that. We can read between the lines. And there was a lot of that in this, which is why I struggle to tell is... The fact Plop's character cheating on his girlfriend, whether he likes her or not, that's immoral. And yet we're still supposed to kind of root for him. Is that a comment about these characters in films or is that just bad writing? 
for me, that part's about bad writing. That part actually plays into the challenge flag precursor there. Throw your challenge flag. Do it now. You can throw it at any time. I'll throw it there. Flag on the play. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's a flag on the play. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with before the challenge flag, when you use that exposition saying we're going to do this or we're going to do that and then you do it, it can be funny. But really, that was the plot of the movie. They did it every single point of the movie. And then by the end, I was kind of sick of it. This is what you're going to do. You're going to score it at the last minute because that's what a great sports movie does. And it's like, come on, it just stop at this point. Yeah. My challenge flag is it was hard for me to find a challenge flag in this because, as you mentioned, things are so over the top. Is it bad writing? Is it goofy? Is it parody? I don't know. But he is engaged to Kate McKinnon's character. He runs into Nikki Reed's character and starts dating her. And he doesn't break up with Kate McKinnon. He's seeing her secretly. Then the bad guy, Beck Bennett's character, reveals it. It's the big turning point in the movie. Yep. This is my problem with it. All of a sudden, Nikki Reed's character wants nothing to do with Jake Lacey. She's off of him. Kate McKinnon and him decide to get kind of like back together, which was weird. But then he breaks up with Kate McKinnon again. But when he runs into Nikki Reed's character at the stadium, she doesn't want to talk to him. And he's like, I'm going to prove it to you. You don't have to say anything, but I'm going to prove myself to you when you back or something. Look, I know I don't deserve it. But you just give me another shot to try to win you back. And how do you plan on doing that? You'll see. He does nothing to win her back. <laughs> he wins the football game. And then that's it. And all of a sudden she runs up to him and kisses him and everything's great. There's no arc with that at all. Just as much as you would never date Kate McKinnon's character in this. The fact that Nikki Reed got back with him at the end makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. He cheated on her. He lied to her. And he said he was going to prove himself. And all he did was win a football game. Horrible. Horrible. Challenge flag. You're forgetting he also gave her a handful of a hobo's teeth. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, well. So that's a that's a fun plot point. I really struggle for the, the challenge flag here as well. Maybe it's going to be a challenge flag on the writing, and clearly I already have issues with it. Plop is a likable guy. I find him very engaging. I liked him in the last season of The Office. I liked him in High Fidelity. A good looking dude, as they say in the thing. He's got a smile a mile wide. I like him. I'd like to see him in more things. He's easy to root for. However, there's no redemption. It's not like he's tried to break up with Kate McKinnon. You can clearly see he's unhappy. Yep. But it's not like he's broken up with Kate McKinnon before doing anything. Yep. Like she's misinterpreted it or what? Yes, he gets accidentally engaged to her. I don't know. There's nothing redeeming about him. Yeah. As a character, you say for her to get back together with him because he basically just dogged two women. That's pretty much it. And then ends up with the one that he wanted. <laughs> Life lesson, kids. Do what you want. You'll end up with the one you want. And again, this is why I can't tell if it's bad writing or satire. The joke that he's so bad yet she still ends up with him. 
Like, oh, the pretty girl's going to end up with him because he's got muscles and plays sport. Yeah, I think if that's the case, it's way too deep. It's way too much of a reach. I am going to default to bad writing in that sense. And I'm going to have to do that with a lot of this. I think there are some jokes that are on the nose. There's a ton of jokes that are on the nose. I mean, the main bad guy is named Dick, and they reference... (laughs) jokes on that a million times it's not like van wilder when the bad guy belonged to delta i omega kappa and he was a dick you know it's it's much more on the nose so i don't know i think that the jokes that aren't on the nose are kind of a reach this is a joke out of the muppets most wanted where ricky gervais's character is called dominic bad guy Yeah. I get that that's the joke as he's called Dick. It sort of oscillates between high concept satire and one of these parody movies like Vampires Suck or something like that, where the joke is, look, it's Britney Spears and she's just shaved her head and the guy from 300's kicking her into a pit. Right. Cultural references and people who might have been in porn. (laughs) I love satire. I do too. Two of the funniest films ever made. And there is some connective tissue between these two. Uh, Airplane and The Naked Gun. Like, I love the Austin Powers films. All those. And the thing about satire is you have to do it with a straight face. The audience is in on it. They understand the tropes. And the idea is that you take the tropes to and either invert them, which doesn't really happen in this, but I I thought it was going to. Or you end up making, as I say, like epic movie where you've got, oh, look, it's it's Jack Sparrow running away from Pokemon. Right. Which I care for less. Yeah. You 100% don't explain the joke, which I feel happened in this movie quite often. This is a joke. We did the joke. Now we're going to explain the joke to you. That just never sits well with me. I'm not saying that this is all bad. I feel like we've dogged on this movie for a while. There are some nuggets in this movie. I didn't think it was horrible at all, but the overall really wasn't higher end or intelligent comedy. Yeah. And I I thought there was some legitimate laugh out loud funny moments in this. And in fact, I did laugh out loud at some of those funny moments. And some of them I was like, I get that that's a joke. I just, all right, whatever. I loved, at one point they get in a fight with an all-girl team. Yes. And it starts with Hank, who's kind of like an aggressive Charles Boyle, is how I would describe him, of Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame. He's kind of like really into it, clearly loves his football. He's Plop's housemate. He says, done a lot of terrible things in my time, but I would never punch a woman. So he headbutts her. Right. And the two teams get into a massive fight. The cops show up and arrest them. All hell breaks loose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to lose to a bunch of chicks. Who are you calling chicks? Okay. Sweetheart, baby doll, the big strong guys are going to have a conversation now. So why don't you just brosy bro Donald away? Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Did you just punch me in the face? Oh, oh. oh. I have done a lot of terrible things in my life, but I am not gonna punch a girl. Yeah! Yeah! What the hell, man? Hey, I said I wasn't gonna punch. It's an all-out brawl. Oh, you hate to see the game degraded to this level, Bill.
They all get thrown in jail, and then immediately some old guy comes up to him and is like, what are you in for? And he goes, murder, and then something like, take this, grandpa, and headbutts him and starts another fight in jail. (laughs) And I was like, that's pretty funny. When they were fighting the man-eaters, which was the female team, they had a theme song in the background, like this real intense music. And then they're in the cop car and it's maybe 30 seconds. And he's like, what are you going to do when you get to jail? And he's like, got to show dominance to survive. And immediately the old guy comes up, asks a harmless question. He headbutts him. Then hell breaks loose again. And the music kicks back in. The nerd of the team is in there. And this gang member comes up to him and shivs him four times and goes, I hope you like AIDS. (laughs) He goes like, why would I like AIDS? That, that whole scene was brilliant. I literally laughed out loud. I was like, that is great. My dad's going to kill me, Hank. I've never been to jail before. What are we going to do? You just gotta establish dominance as soon as possible. Follow my lead. What are you in for, kiddo? Murder, Grandpa, bitch! Ah! Yeah! Yeah! God! Okay, I don't wanna fight. I've got no beef with anybody. Hope you like AIDS, amigo. kind of hit the nail on the head with the joke that seems funny and then they have i hope you like aids which bad taste joke i would say yep and the sort of joke you would find in like an epic movie one of these ones written by two of the seven writers of scary movie something like that and then he sort of has another line that you're like that's kind of funny but it's also not at the same time just having him get shivved was enough that was the funny part yeah They overwrite it when they don't need to. They don't trust the viewer to be on the same page or rise to their intelligence of the joke. Yeah. I mean, it kind of feels like a 2006 movie made in 2014. Right. But like there's jokes in there. There was a joke about Uday Hussein. What if you ever heard a joke about Uday Hussein aside from like a week where he's in the news? For those of you unfamiliar, that's the oldest son of Saddam Hussein. I knew that off the top of my head, which is weird. What sort of joke is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's like an epic movie joke. And this is the thing is so much as like, there are funny parts in this. We'll run through the, the plot really quickly. When they're freshmen, they win the intramural football. On the final play, Plop throws this long touchdown. His best mate catches the ball. He gets tackled in midair and gets paralyzed from the balls down. Honestly, that part kind of gave me a little bit of hope because he gets hurt. Plop runs up to him. I can't feel my penis. And Plop's like, what about your legs? And he's like, who cares? I can't feel my balls. He's like, we need a doctor. And then a doctor comes out of nowhere. (laughs) Just vice grips his crotch with his hand and goes, can Mm. you feel this? And he's like, I can't feel anything. And the doctor's like, you're paralyzed and leaves. And the guy's like, where are you going? And to me, that scene was funny. That whole scene was funny. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm settling into this. This is the first five minutes of the movie. Yep. The paralyzed guy whose name is um, Grant Rosenfallis. So fun little penis joke there. He says to Plop, promise me you'll keep playing or something like that. He's like, I promise I will. He goes, promise me. He's like, yeah, literally just did, man. I literally just promised you. (laughs) Right. Funny joke. But anyway, so he ends up in a wheelchair. He tries to do a slow clap, but he sort of claps and then has to roll his chair and clap again and has to roll his chair. I was like, that's quite a funny joke. And that spoof of the genre, a a genre where think about dodgeball as part of this, it is is in and of itself a parody. 
And so they're sort of parodying a parody. Yeah. And that's definitely where this comes from. It comes from the thought of dodgeball, basketball. Again, another parody. Another parody. Both way superior movies. absolutely. Basketball, even more so. It's in that same vein. Mm. But you're right. This is a parody of those parodies almost. Towards the end, like you think he's died uh, in a horrible accident. Turns out he's faked his own death to inspire the team. And then it basically says to them, in all of these movies, the grizzled old coach like inspires his team by dying and I didn't really want to die or something like that. I thought you were dead. <laughs> well, you thought wrong, Thinky. Your trailer and the, your glasses. <sighs> Do I really have to explain this to you? Yes. Yes, you really have to explain this to me. The primary turning point in all sports movies usually involves the untimely death or paralysis of a key character, quite often the coach-slash-mentor. I faked it. What? What? Why would you fake your death? Because that's how it's done. That's not how it's done. What are you talking about? What reference point is that? You don't have to fake your death for your intramural football team to win. This isn't about winning. This is about winning at the last possible second. We get the joke. Like, you don't need to explain that. But then at the very end, he, like, stands up and walks out of his wheelchair and is like, totally worth it. That's a funny joke, and that really got me and totally surprised me. Yeah, there are some some nuggets in this that are good. One of the tropes they really play off on, and we could talk about it, you know, there's the creepy guy on the team, like the Steve the Pirate type, kind of a Chris Angel mind freak magician who I think they wanted to be gay, but maybe felt bad about making him gay. There's a, the nerd who gets shift. One of the parts that really did make me laugh out loud is he's doing his PhD on a number between three and four. Right. Hank, the Charles Boyle guy, is like, oh, like pie. And he goes, it's not like pie. <laughs> yeah. I actually like the introduction to the magician. Mm, yeah. The Brian uh, Michelaney character. It's very classic. We're jumping a lot around in the plot, but basically he decides not to play football We can get into some of those parts if you want. But then when he decides, I got to break out of this life that I'm preordained to do, marrying Kate McKinnon and getting this job that's already set up, he wants to get back into football, so he pulls the team together. It's a classic 80s style, you son of a bitch, I'm in, getting everyone back together. They introduce them one by one, as these movies tend to do. And the magician, when they introduce him, he's doing magic in front of a gang (laughs) he's like is this your card and he does this card trick to this latino gangster and then insults him somehow so the gangster pulls out a knife and then the magician appears behind him and puts his own knife up to his neck and one of the guys like put down the knife man and the magician's like what knife and the gangster's holding a bouquet of flowers (laughs) that was so ridiculous and it made me laugh. I, I really like that. Chance Gilman, the lone wolf wide receiver. We called him Magic Man because he could make magic on the field, and he was a bit of an amateur magician. Now tell me, is this your card? How the hell did you do that? That's called street magic, Rafa. You wouldn't come prende. Show me street magic. Go on. Show me your magic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Show me your magic. Put the knife down, man. Put the knife down. What knife? This wave was crazy. And that's how you do magic in the streets. 
I thought those introduction scenes were really funny. We talked about the nerd. I loved that magic scene. I also loved uh, Gabriel Luna's in this. You might remember him from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was Ghost Rider in that. He's kind of like, he's in things. I actually thought it was going to be Diego Luna. So clearly a, a soft racist. But no, <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel Luna is in this. He's the first one that Plop meets up here. He used to be the quarterback of the team. You see a ball come off screen and it, it sort of hits, hits Plop. And he's like, oh, hey, he was just throwing the ball around, blah, blah, blah. And it transpires that it's just him throwing the ball at people. Right. <laughs> and he, he he does it a couple of times. And every time you know it's coming, but it's really funny. And then he and Plop right. go up to the roof and start like, oh, let's get the band back together, blah, blah, blah. I'll just divert for a second with a question here. That scene of them throwing the ball on the roof, I assume was an homage to the room. I didn't even think about that, but I suppose it could be. Yeah feels exactly like the sort of joke that this kind of comedy writer's movie would have in it. Yep. And then he accidentally throws the ball off the roof and hits a woman that he's already hit before. I, I don't know. It got me every time. People get hit by a man too. getting hit yeah. by football. Give that man the prize. It was a classic joke. It was done pretty well. I didn't see it coming anyway. And that time he knocked her out, like everyone started running over. And that was the time where they're like, we got to get out of here. And as they're like speed walking away, still talking, you see all these people like rushing in the background. It made me laugh for sure. And he's talking about like pranks they used to do. And basically they're all like, oh, I remember we pissed in this guy's water bottle. We pissed in his soup. And he sort of trails off with, yeah, I pissed in a lot of things back then. Yeah. The other guy on the team is like the big dumb country guy. Surprise, surprise, a horse whisperer, and he does that by opera singing to the horses. Yep. That's some nice foreshadowing at the end. That's basically how they win the game. Spoilers, they they win it. So we talked about this film is about intramural football. Do you have any intramural sports stories or that sort of jazz? I'm going to say no. Intramural sports... For those of you that don't know, it's sports within a school. It's more recreational. Most sports are extramural. It's an institution versus an institution. So if you played sports in high school and you're playing against another high school, that's not intramural. It's when your high school gym class, when you play against each other. For me, I never really played anything like that. I did go to art college. I went to MICA, <laughs> which is one of the best design colleges in the world, but it was not a sports school at all. Any sport they did was probably intramural and was a complete unorganized mess. I mean, honestly, not even worth talking about. The school was more club-based. I belonged to a snowboarding club because we, we would all just get together and snowboard. It wasn't even really a club. It's just like we kind of met up and did that. And we'd all hang out the night before and get drunk and then oversleep and not end up getting there when we wanted to anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but art college is not the place to engage in sports or really anything outside of art. The art was amazing, but every college you have to do foundational courses. And I've always been really good at math. The math class was so <laughs> bad it was like middle school level and everyone just kept asking questions how do we get that and the teacher at one point sets down the book and he's like my god i didn't i didn't think you guys needed this much help on this like we're, we're way behind and it was like me and two other kids that were kind of laughing about it but again the art unbelievable it was really really good you had to get good grades to get in there so i don't know how how that happened but to make a long story longer i don't have any intramural sports stories how about you 
Um, so I went to a private boys' school. That's a private school for boys, not a school for private boys. Hmm. And we had houses. So, like, if you've read or watched Harry Potter and they've got, like, Gryffindor and Slytherin and all that shit, we had that. Okay. So we had house sport all the time. We had school sports days. We had inter-house debating. We had inter-house swimming. You name it as a sport. Soccer, Australian rules, football, basketball, those sorts of things. So I played all of those because... My house was not very sporty, and I was above average. We had a lot of D&D kids. Nothing wrong with that, but, like, Gareth Doog with his three nipples wasn't chipping in very much to inter-house soccer. Right. Two interesting stories that came out of this. One of them was from inter-house Australian rules football. Our head of house, Mr. McGuinness, who is now a respected fantasy author, like a, a little fat guy with a big moustache, looked like the Lorax. Good reference. And he used to rev us up at halftime and before the game. So they'd be like, you got to go out there and, and get these guys. You know, we hate Jenkins, we hate Hardy, whatever it is. And he would always finish his rev up by going, and just remember, we're kicking that way and point towards the goals. Because if you're not familiar with Australian rules football, everyone starts on the field lined up against each other. It's not like American football or soccer where everyone starts on their own half. Everyone starts all over the ground. He didn't do it one time. Our Ruckman won the hit out to a guy called Jared Irons, who actually went on to play in the AFL briefly, and he took off kicking in the wrong direction the one time (laughs) Mr. McGuinness didn't do it. We always used to make fun of him. Be like, why do you need to say it? He's like, because you just never know. So that was one good story. And the other one is my greatest ever sporting moment. Now, I was a pretty decent soccer player at school. I am still a reasonably good cricketer for an amateur who doesn't train. But basketball is not the sport for me. I wasn't allowed to play it growing up because it was for Americans. And anyway, I can get into my home life. But I had to fill in with basketball. Basically, you needed 10 players and we only had nine. So I was like chilling out on the bench. The rules were you had to have a certain number of each year group on the court at all times. I think you had to have at least two year 12s and two year 11s. Our year 11s were really good. Our year 12s, not so much. One of our year 12s got injured, so I had to come on. Uh Uh-oh. And there was not long left. It would have been 15 to 20 seconds. And someone put up a shot and our center, a guy called Nick Bonwick, who I think actually played a little bit of sort of low-level state basketball in WI, won the rebound. And because I had no idea what I was doing, I was standing all by myself, passed the ball to me, and I shot at nothing but net three points. We won by a point. Whoa, that's like a movie story. I know. You should write a movie better than this. <laughs> Against Jenkins, who were like the sporting powerhouse, and we knocked him out in the first round. So um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's why everyone plays sports, man. It's that moment. Nothing quite like it. And in fact, I then, in my first year uni, played intramural basketball. Again, same thing. Not quite the same situation. Someone passed me the ball, shot at nothing but net three points, and I thought, I'm done here, never playing basketball again, and I have never played basketball again, despite being perhaps the greatest three-point shooter ever. (laughs) Two from 200%, less than a minute court (laughs) time. So that's my intramural experience. I have played a little bit of flag football. I gave up when I tore my calf, but that was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, over here, it's essentially a dick-measuring competition to who knows the most about American football. So you'd have teams rocking up, and you'd have the quarterback like reading the plays off his wrist and we were still learning each other's name. Right. Um, so yeah, that, makes that, sense. that wasn't a lo- <laughs> like, it was a lot of fun, but by the same token, not a lot of fun. So we, uh, that's kind of my experience. Now you talked about going to Micah and you say, you don't know how to go, how you got in there. Obviously. Cause you're really good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> I never said that. 
I know exactly how I got in there. Thank you. (laughs) Busted my ass. Speaking of busting your ass, because this is where I was going with the question. Have you ever butt chugged anything? No, no. I can confidently (laughs) say that I have never butt chugged anything. Someone has to have done it. It has to have been done. It's a thing everyone knows about. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. (laughs) Oh my. Oh my. Um, have you ever butt chugged anything? No. And if the answer is yes, I hope it's alcohol. <laughs> um, no, no, I never have. I'm not sure what the advantage of butt chugging is. Get you drunk faster. I don't know who you think you are, Fuller. This is football, not a goof off game of butt chugging with the bros. You guys do that? Of course I butt chug, everybody butt chugs. That's really dangerous. What are you talking about? It gets you drunk quicker. And when would you be doing this? At a party, in a room, with your buddies. I don't know any person who does that. Stop talking about butt chugging, this is football. Relax, man. It's just intramurals. That's what he's, that's what Beck Bennett says. And this is where at the start, it's like, we're butt chugging beers, we're butt chugging beers. Like, you gotta butt chug, bro. No, you don't have to butt chug, you just drink it normally. And I'm a big fan of a drinking game. I love a funnel. I love Goon of Fortune. I love a boat race. And in fact, there you go. Another intramural. I represented the medical faculty in my first year of uni in um, uni drinking games. But butt chugging, not for me. I am a uh, flip cup champion. Oh, yeah. That is my game. Nice. Yeah. A while ago, a long while ago, I dated a certain lady. And she was, what I would like to say is outside my financial station. She said, hey, I'm going to go to a barbecue. Now, to me, a barbecue is shorts, slip-on shoes, that t-shirt, that sort of thing, six-pack of beer. I show up and it's a garden party, which is very, (laughs) very different. I'm in like torn up jean shorts, like black cotton t-shirt. I got Vans on and I'm holding like a six-pack of garbage baltimore beer and they have people playing violins in the corner of this house oh i say have you seen the chav that marianne has brought with her oh my where's my wicker hat blown off to i bet you five farthings i can make him into a gentleman by next wednesday and then this person had the audacity she left me to do a tour of this giant house that we were at So I'm out there by myself. Somehow I managed to wrangle everyone together to play flip cup and I dominated. (laughs) It was the best. It got to the point where like moms and stuff were coming over like these older ladies are like, oh, I want to play. And everyone wanted me on their team. My husband hasn't flipped me like that ever. She came outside. She's like, what in the hell happened? (laughs) Nice little garden party. I had like a member of the band play at one point. It was fantastic. It's the game that brings people together. There you go. And do you still keep in touch with Chloe Kardashian? No, no. She's uh, gotten too weird for me. I can't even recognize her anymore. I'm sure one day we'll talk about her biological father, OJ Simpson, on this show. I I love a drinking game. When I was in San Francisco in 2014, the same year this came out, spooky, uh, my mate and I stumbled onto a bar that had like a drinking games night. Yep. We played a bit of beer pong, played a bit of flip cup, but like we're very much amateurs. The speed drinking is kind of our go, not the performer a feat whilst drinking. And so we were getting introduced to these new games and we kept coming up against this guy who was like the fucking rule master. (laughs) I think we were winning. They had one cup left and we had like five. So we were doing quite well. My mate threw it into the cup. Bang. Game over. We were super excited. 
This guy's like, no, you were over the line. You were over the line. You can't throw. That doesn't count. You cheated. You're out. You're out. Oh, my gosh. Do you work here? He's like, no, I hate it when people come here and they don't abide by the rules. And was getting more and more angry. Like, dude, can you just chill out? Like, if it means that much, we'll get drunk. We don't mind. That's what we're here for. Right. I'm sorry. I just get so worked up during competition. Like, yeah, you need to fucking chill out, bro. Yeah. And then I remember we were in America. Maybe he had a gun. So we avoided him. (laughs) What? A lot of American hate in here. Can't play basketball. That's too American. All Americans have guns. I mean, are either of those statements wrong? No, they're both very, very true. I have a basketball and a gun in my hand right now. Yeah, and his penis in the other. Said we're doing this balls out. We're doing this balls out. Yeah, guys that take those rules too seriously are the worst, man. They have that excuse. Oh, I just take competitions here. It's like, no, you're a douchebag. That's what's happening. You're always a douchebag. And in another situation, you would be a douchebag. We call it white line fever. Because like as soon as you cross the white line, you turn into a different person. And usually it's a bit of fun when it's a mate. But if you're there, not your mate, they just seem like a dick. Absolutely. Throughout this film, they we've talked about they kind of try and hit all the tropes. And they don't just hit all the tropes. They ram the bottle of beer up your bum and make you chug it. So one of the tropes that we see in this predictably, is the montage. And there's a montage to this, which is to finish what we started by Miles Fisher. I think that's a pretty decent song. The montage in this is kind of fun. It does have the narration of the coach spelling out every single thing that's going to happen, which kind of kills it. But like on the whole, it's a, a pretty standard montage. And the montage is like a favorite of the sports movie anyway. Honestly, when they did it that first time and they laid everything out, I was fine with it. It got a little bit annoying because it went on for a while. Yep. It was just repeating that throughout the rest of the movie. They continued to explain every part of everything. That first time wasn't so bad, though. It did kind of feel like the movie had been written from start to finish in various settings because as it went on, they built on different techniques that they expanded as they went rather than being cohesive without the film. I don't know if that's a cohesive statement, but I know what I mean. In terms of montages, let's before we get into the sports ones, do you have any favourite non-sports movie montages? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a very, very clear one, and that's Push It to the Limit from Scarface. Yep. one of the classics there is an old youtube video where someone replaced in gta a horse in the car and they're playing that song in the background and the horse is just running over people and crashing over things and knocking things over and at the very end the horse crashes into like four people in a tree and slides out of his car and they do it from all the different angles and it's like push it to the limit yeah and you see the horse like bouncing so funny one of my favorite videos of all time so much so that me and my buddies when we were going out we'd be like you're gonna let the horse out tonight we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> gonna get gonna get horse tonight Uh, but push it to the limit i think is a classic and that has no sports reference yep Um, i would say and it depends on if you count this as a sports show i think rocky and many of the rockies have some of the best sports montages easily in film oh no doubt no doubt and of course they're sports movies yeah i would say that that's a sport movie yeah for sure there's no easy way out from rocky four 
and just the Rocky theme song in general. Yep. Gets me pumped up every time. How about you? Do you have any, I guess, start with non-sports? Do you have any non-sports montages? Given you left off with Rocky Four, it seems rude not to start there for me. That 32% of that film is montage in terms of runtime. That's not a fun gag. That's actually true. That's the best montage in Rocky. And Rocky is famous for montages. Yep. That one is fantastic with Hearts on Fire. The better song from that is Burning Heart. And obviously people are familiar with Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Yep. I think Burning Heart, which is the theme from Rocky Four, doesn't get the proper shrift. And here's why. I'll do a reading of the lyrics for you. Are you familiar with this song? I am. So for those of you who aren't, two worlds collide, rival nations. It's a primitive clash venting years of frustrations. Bravely we hope against all hope. There is so much at stake. Seems our freedom's up against the ropes. Does the crowd understand... Is it East versus West or man against man? Can any nation stand alone? can't tell me that is not the greatest fucking <laughs> montage song ever that's pretty good in the warrior's code there's no surrender though his body says stop his spirit cries never and it's it's an absolute banger it's good. definitely it's if you're banger. not familiar with it burning heart by survivor is fantastic it's not the song from the montage unfortunately it's just a fantastic song far from over from staying alive by yep you guessed it frank stallone that's fantastic. That's got all the 80s kitsch to it. Chariots of Fire has the classic uh, Vangelis theme as they're running in slow motion on the beach. What about You're the Best Around? Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. Karate Kid. I think that has to go on the board as my favorite. Just because of the love of the Karate Kid. You're the best around. That's got some real sentimental vibes to it for me because I remember after my cricket club back in Australia, we won the first A-grade premiership in our club's history, singing that on repeat from about 1.30 to 3 o'clock in the morning. Nice. With We're the Best Around. Absolutely love it. Joe Bean Esposito. Yep. <laughs> Mulan, one of the great montages. I'll make a man out of you. Sure, sure. We can't forget from Team America... We're gonna need a montage. Uh, even Rocky had a montage. That's called a montage.
face fade out in a montage. That, that is what we call... That's satire. Yeah, it's satire, right. Bang. Couple of other quick ones. It's a similar vein to Scarface. The Layla montage from Goodfellas, where Jimmy is cleaning up after the heist with the piano riff from Layla over the top. I would be remiss not to mention Ennio Morricone's beautiful love theme from Cinema Paradiso. Incredible movie and an incredible montage within the context of the movie as well. And then one from Watchmen, the opening of Watchmen, the times they are a change in alternate version of history that sets up the context of that film, I think is among the top five film openings ever. Nice. It's a million montage. You look at them... You know, sports movies have a bunch of them. That's like a huge trope. But there's there's plenty of others around. I sound like I'm on the BBC here. Yes, sports movies good, but there are (laughs) others available. So shout out to montages. Hey, montage, if you're listening, we love (laughs) you. I suppose we better get towards wrapping this up. It's funny. We really didn't go through the plot of the movie on this one, but it's really your classic movie. It's guy plays sports, something happens. He doesn't want to play sports. His life isn't going the way he wants, so he plays sports. They do good, they do bad, he wins. Yep. Classic every single sport movie you've ever seen. So I guess that's why we've been all over the place, because going line by line really doesn't make much sense here. Yeah, I was literally going to say, hey, listener, you ever watched a sports movie? You've seen this film. Yep. One of the scenes they parody, I think it's a parody of Happy Gilmore, where their friends listen to Endless Love in the Dark. Yep. They go to a disused roller rink, Plop and Nicky Reed. They're sort of talking about being there. And he turns on the mirror ball and it's As Long As You Love Me by the Backstreet Boys. And then out of nowhere, these homeless people come up and they're like, basically want to start a fight with them. And <laughs> she kicks out the guy's teeth, which is where the, the teeth at the end sort of come full circle with. Oh, this guy just comes out and he goes, have you come to eat my brains? He's like yelling yeah. all crazy. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to drink the inside of your face. It was, uh, it was good. <laughs> it was a real surprise twist, but there is a line from this scene, which I thought was really interesting foreshadowing, which is, even when you know it's coming, it still takes your breath away. And I think that is the underpinning philosophy of so many sports movies is, you know, it's going to come together at the end, but it's the journey you go on to get there. And it might be trite, but it's still enjoyable. And it's interesting because I thought the foreshadowing in this was going to be the first conversation between Plop and Nicky Reed. They're talking about which of the Rocky films is their favorite. Right. And he says, oh, it's Rocky one. He doesn't win, but that's where he meets Adrian. Your shirt, that kind of reminds me of him. He's- oh, I the Tiger fan. Kind of reminds me of Rocky Three, <laughs> Best movie of all time. Oh, I think you mean Rocky One. <laughs> what? Come yeah. on. No, he doesn't even win in the end. Oh, it's not about the winning. No, no, come on. That's where he meets Adrian. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. If that's foreshadowing for the end of the film, that they're not going to win, but he's still going to get the girl, that's interesting screenwriting. Sadly, not the case. And that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. I thought that they were going to lose at the end and there was going to be some sort of connection with that. Yep. Really missed it. Because it's a big plot point. They mention Rocky a lot. Later, he does a Rocky impression. I think there was another Rocky uh, reference yeah. in there. I'm sure I playing the dumb guy. See, the thing about boxing, you gotta hit the other guy. You gotta get back up again. See, you fall down, you gotta get back up again. I was in porn. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to do porn. You gonna hear me say it? I was a smart guy in Tango and Cash. Uh, good stuff. I think that's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> Strong disagree. 
I'm going to hit you with some quickfire questions at the end here because we are running out of time. And I have a hard out. Sure. And a hard on. Ooh. How do you feel about male engagement rings? Uh, not a fan. No. Honestly, I'm not a fan of rings in general. Yeah. No rings. It's a shame you're a Ravens fan and not like a Jets fan. But for all you Jets fans, you're not a fan of rings either. Sucked in. Hey! <laughs> sure, we all have friends with partners who are similar to Kate McKinnon, am I right? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, personality killers. Uh, we probably don't need to delve too deeply into that. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the Wiz. There's connective tissue for you. Uh, Oof. Yee! There's a scene in this with a bunch of like, whatever you reckon, bros of Stalin. Oh, I don't know what you're saying, shoeless bro Jackson. <laughs> They're not that. They're better than whatever there was in there. But the one that I really enjoyed was uh, he calls one of the women and brosy bro donnell <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> the man eaters <laughs> we'll wrap this up what's the best football play or the best football moment it was hard to do a good football moment surprisingly there wasn't a lot of football in this football movie really it was like a lot of end zone things i'm gonna yep. have to say as far as football probably go with the tuck and run play yep you agree with me on that one i have that on my list okay i just had the triple z in general but yeah the tuck and run is good the triple Z is like the big play in the beginning, which ends up paralyzing the coach. Earlier in the game, he tells him to run the triple Z. The guy has the flashback and he can't do it, which you know is going to be a plot point for the end of the movie. But instead, he tucks it and he runs. And there's actually good football there. He's doing some good cuts. Looks like he has good vision. It looks like an actual football play. I dug that one. Yep. No, I agree. I thought that triple Z was really good. It reminded me a bit of a play my mate and I came up with when we were playing flag football called Waterhouse, named after the legendary Clive Waterhouse, which was a pitch to the running back who would then throw it. The wrinkle here was it wasn't an overarm throw. It was an around the back flick, Yeah, <laughs> which didn't really add anything to it, but we practiced it for quite a bit. We then ran it in a game and it should have been intercepted. But that, that was quite fun. It reminded me of that. I thought the funniest football moment, if we're not saying the triple Z, was they say to Hank to just be a distraction. Like, yeah. <laughs> he tucks his shorts into his tank top and is like, I'm the sexiest boy alive. <laughs> it starts dancing mainly with his pelvis. I'm the sexiest boy alive. Pulled up his shirt. I thought that that was good too. He's like, look at me. The only problem that I had with the triple Z is, and I guess it's the point of the play, but your star wide receiver was wide open. Yeah. I guess that was supposed to be the point of the triple Z. It was like a soft challenge flag there. In the NFL, if DeAndre Hopkins, no matter what play they run, someone's going to be on him. It's never just let him go. Yeah. It's sort of shades of, oh, here you go. Julian Edelman to Danny Amendola pass Patriots v Raven. Before they get sacked, you mean, right? <laughs> Um, fair point. Where are you putting this on our ranking? I really struggled with it. I did too. When I first watched it the other day, I was very tired. It was actually enjoyable for me. I sat through it. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't shy people away from watching it. I think it's worth a watch. And originally when I watched it, I was like, this is probably around a fourth round pick. When I watched it again and I started breaking it down, I'm probably going to go fifth round because a lot of the jokes were expected but there were a few that surprised it's kind of a good mindless movie really i don't know if i'll watch it again but at the same time it's not like i would be opposed if someone wanted to watch it 
I was really hoping I could put it between three and fourth round. <laughs> Something magic between three and four. There's a number between three and four. I was really hoping it would sit there, but I cannot put it that high in good conscience. So I think I'll settle on a fifth round. How about you? Before I get into my rating, it's probably worth saying that the movie culminates. They do the triple Z. The magician is wide open, catches it short of the end zone. He could turn around and run it in. He is that close, but no, he vanishes into thin air. His dad says that he's not embarrassed by him being a magician anymore, and he reappears in the end zone, which... He disappeared between the three and the four-yard line. What type of devilry is this? I love you, son. I love you too, Dad! Touchdown, Panthers! Panthers win! Do you believe in acts of God? I always knew there was something magical between three and four. I mean, whatever. But then the, <laughs> that's the joke. He stops putting the third and the fourth. It's the magic between three and right. So if you just take the good parts out of this, there are some genuinely funny parts, but there is a lot of bad in between. Yep. I don't want to give it a sixth round because I think some elements of it are better. But in a very Bill Parcells way, bad moments hurt more than the good moments feel good. It's a good point. For that reason, I put it in the sixth round. For you, it's not really a question, but for me, I am going to say this is not in the Gus zone. I would rather watch this again than Gus. Mm. I assume you come down in the same camp there. I'd watch this again if I had it and I was hungover. There is some level of comfort in this movie and its stupidity and at the good moments. We judge on the Gus scale a lot. Would you rather watch this or Gus? rather watch this it's narrow but but i'd rather watch this i could see this being like a favorite of a group of bros who might have all watched it once and it's sort of like a joke within their friend group they've all seen it and they quote bits from it like yeah there are things to like in this i agree you know i've got a couple of mates visiting me in a little while maybe i'll show them this and we'll see if if it takes off i'll keep you posted i'd rather watch this as well fair enough well with that in mind why don't you tell the good people where they can find out more about all the fantastic stuff you do you can find me on twitter at justin underscore b come on by say hi see some football stuff some crazy ramblings or if you wanted to see some design and web work you can go to justin-b.com and as always, I am at Sheehan Solo on Twitter, so give me a follow over there. You can get in touch with the show at ScreenYouLater at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ScreenPassPodcast. Don't forget to follow at 32Bit on Twitter to stay up to date with everything we're doing. And Justin? Screen you later to the limit. Limit! <laughs> <laughs>
talk amongst yourself. Chugging a beer, butt beer. <laughs> Gotta chug that butt beer. 